Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. My name is Miriam McLemore and I'm an enterprise strategist with AWS. I am thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Tarika Barrett, who is the CEO of Girls Who Code. Tarika, welcome to our program. Miriam, thank you so much for having me. I am just thrilled personally to have the opportunity to speak with you today. Can you tell us a little bit about your role and Girls Who Code? I'll start by saying there's nothing like growing up in another country to shape you know, who you are and your worldview. And I am the proud daughter of Jamaican immigrants, you know, spending, growing up really, spending my time between Kingston, Jamaica and Brooklyn, New York. And, you know, how I see the world and understand issues of race, class, equity, you know, are all shaped by that upbringing. And I also had a mom who instilled in me the power of mentorship and the importance of fighting for equity and making change. And so all of that, you know, was the foundation that then, you know, shaped this journey that I took into the education space. And, you know, later I came to understand that focusing on issues of equity, both in terms of race and gender, would be my life's work. And it was a dream that took shape across a number of experiences. I would say straight out of college, working as a political organizer, you know, later working and teaching kids who were deaf and hard of hearing, and then uh, getting my PhD in teaching and learning, and then eventually working in education reform. I had the good fortune of leading the team that designed and launched New York City's first ever high school focused on software engineering, where issues of equity were central. And, you know, fast forward, all of those experiences have rolled up into this moment where I'm now CEO of Girls Who Code, one of the largest girls organizations on the planet. And I'm so reflective and humbled in this moment because you know, I also understand the context that I'm sitting in. I am a black woman who's a CEO, you know, when we are at a time where, you know, centuries of um, historical discrimination and racism have kept women of color and black women in particular, you know, fighting for some small slice of the leadership pie. And I'm so proud of Girls Who Code that we thought about leadership transition in a completely different way and turned all that outdated thinking on its head. And so now here I am, you know, ready to pay it forward and uplift other girls and women, especially black and brown girls and women of color so that they can step into their own agency and leadership. What a great program. And, you know, Girls Who Code has has global presence as well. And is there, you know, things you can share about the, the global presence of Girls Who Code? So Girls Who Code is an international nonprofit committed to closing the gender gap in entry-level tech jobs by 2030. And we're doing it by building this movement that educates and inspires and equips young women with, you know, computing skills to take on the 21st century jobs and opportunities. And we are so fortunate that we are in the US, Canada, the UK, and India. And, you know, Miriam, when you say that you were, you know, everything changed with COVID, that has been the Girls Who Code experience too. We were extremely um, excited about our global expansion. Um, and we have, I think, currently over 700 Girls Who Code international clubs, which is phenomenal. But what's been hard with COVID is that we had to kind of make a pivot. And so now we continue to support our clubs. We continue actually for the first time ever, and this is so exciting, 
We have our summer immersion program, which now is a two-week virtual program, used to be a seven-week program, but we actually have four UK classrooms, which is super exciting for the summer immersion program, um, building on last year's pilot of uh, including international students. So, you know, Girls of Code is extremely nimble. We think about ways in which we can meet the needs of our students. And so we continue to think about what that's going to look on the international stage. And as you know, part of what's so daunting right now is that we're still grappling with the effects of, you know, the health crisis. And so we um, remain very committed, but are thinking through how we can continue to support our students globally. Having all my career worked in an international role, I do love the fact that you're not just just a, a reaching the U.S., but you have the ability to reach a wider audience because that that level of cultural diversity um, and uh, and experience, I think, is very valuable for companies, especially large multinationals who need to, you know, think uh, very much beyond our own borders. Can you talk to us a little bit about addressing the, the gender gap in the world of science and technology and your focus? Miriam, that's such an important question. And I can tell you that I have a 12-year-old daughter, so I, this is something that resonates with me deeply. And, you know, when you think about this issue, this is like the question of the day. By failing to address the growing gender gap in tech, we're basically failing to prepare our girls for the jobs of the future. Not only that, we're denying them the quality of life and the upward mobility that a career in tech can provide. You know, when we look at the data, careers in tech are among the fastest growing in our economy. We're predicting right now that we're going to see half a million new tech jobs by 2029. And let's be clear. These are jobs that absolutely pay. The median wage in tech is double that of the national median wage. So, you know, for our young women, and especially our young women of color, they stand to gain so much by pursuing a career in tech. But what we see at Girls Who Code that's so hard is that these young women, and especially young women of color, are dropping out at various points in the pipeline. You know, and, you know, part of this is very much that right now, now, women make up about 26% of the computing workforce. And for Black and Latina women, that number is even worse. Together combined, they make up just a little over 5%. And, you know, this isn't because our girls and women don't have the skills or they don't see, see that, you know, they're not able to step into these roles. From before the age of 10, they've been inundated with these cultural touchstones about who a computer programmer should look like and what they do and they internalize these cultural beliefs, you know, and they stick with them from elementary school to middle school, you know, high school, college, and even into the workforce. And when, you know, our young women actually get there, they're not seeing the role models. We know that 50% of women leave the tech industry by the age of 35, which is absolutely brutal. And, you know, the implications are really far reaching and we see, we see it in the news every day. I'll give you two stark examples. So we know who the designers are. We know who the folks are who are leading in the tech industry. It's overwhelmingly pale and male. And, you know, when you think about something like the recent um, 
I think it was an Apple health app that was brought to the market that didn't feature information about, you know, menstruation or fertility. And women were just beside themselves because how can it not feature that kind of crucial information for women? Or the story of a black teenager who was denied access to a roller skating rink because the facial recognition software identified her as someone who had gotten into a fight weeks earlier, even though that wasn't true. These are deeply frustrating examples that underscore that we have to make gains in making sure that the tech industry is as diverse as a society that we live in. And so that's the work that's underway for us at Girls Who Code. Tarika, thank you for that. You know, the the challenge of solving uh, the gender and diversity gap is certainly something that that's been in front of me for for my entire entire career. And so I love having organizations like Girls Who Code who are helping companies really bring the conversation forward. What is the advice that that you are giving to leaders of organizations in addressing the challenge? Girls of Code is so fortunate. We, you know, we're in this work with our partners. We have corporate partners who support us. We run our summer immersion programs at their offices. You know, our work is about making sure that girls and young women have a chance to pull the curtain back and, you know, get to experience what it's like in a tech company. So your question about what my advice is, what these conversations are like, they have to be, especially in this moment, immensely transparent and authentic. And what we're asking companies to do is to look inward and to ask themselves about things like, you know, credentialing, hiring practices, promotion practices, what they're doing at their individual companies to promote diversity in tech, both gender diversity, but also racial diversity. These are not, you know, easy questions and no two companies are alike, but until we're able to interrogate these long held practices that narrowly assess academic credentials and are based on a very elitist perspective and a very privileged one, you know, we won't be able to move the needle until we change that. Because when we think about an organization like Girls Who Code, half of the women that we serve are from historically underrepresented groups. We're talking about students who are Black, Latina, and low income. And, you know, these girls are ready to learn, excited, but don't always have the opportunity. Um, And so they participate in our programming, and we fully appreciate that they're doing that while juggling caregiving responsibilities, while taking care of siblings, working a job. And so their academic profiles look different sometimes than what these tech companies traditionally value and then hire for. But let's be honest, it's absolutely self-defeating. You know, I shared that tech jobs are among the fastest growing in our economy. They're going to grow by 11%, half a million new jobs. So when you think about it, these companies are best served to think about the bravery and resilience that these young women in particular manifest, because that's what they actually want to bring to their tech companies. And so we can't afford to leave a single ounce of tech talent on the proverbial table. I love that. And and taking a hard look at at job descriptions and the the approach that you're taking and the pool of people that that you're choosing from certainly that was um, in my role as the corporate CIO at Coke. Um, I was we looked at the job descriptions because we were not getting a a diverse set of candidates and that was really 
you know, one of the first places that, that we started, but you're right. Uh, part of it, I think, is, is educating the team. It's not just the tech companies. It's, it's, uh, general business, you know, across industry that, that we need, um, to take a new look and have a new approach because there is a war on talent and we're leaving a huge, um, opportunity on the table if we don't address this gap is, is that, you know, what, what do you see when you, when you do have companies that are starting to achieve, uh, the, a better, better ratio of diverse talent? What, what is the, are some of the benefits that, that you're able to, to hear from, from companies you've worked with? Recently at Girls Who Code, we did a hiring summit and we actually had one partner hire 17 Girls Who Code alums, which we thought was just, you know, mind boggling and wonderful and exactly why we're in this work. But it's what I pointed to before, Miriam, in the stories that were a bit frustrating that I shared. When we fail to have women represented, especially women of color, we're leaving, you know, you talked about talent, right? But we're leaving all the good ideas. How much better are our products? How much better are experiences. Tech is increasingly shaping the world that we live in. And so when these companies bring these young women into the conversation, they all of a sudden have new perspectives. They all of a sudden have a way of approaching the work. And frankly, they know that it just makes smart competitive sense. All of a sudden, their products are actually going to meet the needs of half of our consumer base. And so I think they see the immediate benefit. But Miriam, the part that's hard is that, as you said, it's not just sometimes leaders at the top, it's, you know, recruiters. It's so hardwired into companies' DNA, this, you know, obsession with meritocracy, that it takes a lot to dismantle. And so a lot of the conversation gets really pragmatic. What are you doing? What's that first step? Are you showing up to a Girls Who Code hiring summit and actually thinking and giving your entry-level jobs a second glance? And, you know, I always say this, COVID has given us, you know, no gifts, done no favors, but I am grateful for the ways in which companies are being more reflective about their own practices. Tarika, can you tell me a little bit more about the qualifications you, you mentioned, you know, GPA or number of years experience? Can, can you make that a little more practical for, for some of these leaders that are thinking, well, I think our job descriptions are okay, or we think we have the right criteria, but they, you know, they need to really dive in, I think, and get specific here. Is that right? Miriam, that's exactly right. When we talk about um, how narrow the way that we think about, you know, academic success is when we obsess around academic credentials. And, you know, having gone to a city university undergrad myself, which is predominantly working class students, I understood what it meant to have a part-time job and also pursue my academic studies. Most of the, the students that were there with me never graduated in four years. And I think that when you look at some of the most sort of elite tech companies, they are looking for a particular profile that excludes so many young women and young men of color who've been historically underrepresented. Sometimes we, you know, kind of talk amongst ourselves at Girls Who Code and say, what would it mean to have a credential around bravery? What would it look like to have a credential around resilience? And we even had a really candid conversation with a partner about GPA, because remember, these are still things you know, number of courses taken, extracurricular activities, GPA, you know, um, time to graduate. 
that folks use to say that things are equitable. When in fact, when we understand institutional racism and discrimination, it's anything but equitable. And so part of what we're asking leaders to do is sit down with their recruitment teams and say, what have we asked for in the past? How do we level the playing field? Even something that may seem so unbiased, like a technical interview, hmm, who has the social capital or connection to find out what happens in a technical interview? Who's already connected to the folks who have had that experience? You know, we have to keep remembering that if you're marginalized, you don't readily have access to so many things that other folks who have had tutoring, have had extra support, have family members who are already in industry that they have. So I think we really have to kind of pull it all apart and inspect every part of that recruitment process and look at credentials in a completely different way. Yeah, I, I think that that is so important to get companies just looking looking at their own practice because a lot of it is um, unrecognized bias that that is in some of the systems that you've come accustomed to, I think, of, over the years and over time. And having come from, you know, a 26-year career in consumer products, I very much take your point that, you know, you need to design and develop products for your consumer base, which is highly diverse. And so if your, your designers of those products aren't reflecting uh, your consumers, you're, you're likely to have a pretty sizable mismatch. You have another program called Work First Development. Could you tell us about that? Girls Who Code Work Prep is actually a two-week virtual program, and I'm glad you asked because it actually underscores bringing that to market was an example of how we thought about the challenges that our young men are facing, especially those from marginalized groups. And during this pandemic, we said, what can we do? How do we give these young women access to tech companies? How do we get them you know, into this pathway? How do we solidify that? And so Work Prep was born. And so we've done two of these pilots so far with two of our corporate partners. And if you can picture it, it's this amazingly diverse group of over 50 women for each session. And they got a chance to see what happens behind the scenes. They got to meet women in tech. They you know, often talk about, like, I have no idea what to major and minor in, in terms of computer science. And they had to have, you know, they got a chance to have those conversations. It was truly transformative for them. And these are the things that we know will translate into internships and jobs. And so, you know, we would love for the rest of industry to really strip away some of these, you know, barriers. Because in this case, we knew it couldn't look like a regular internship. These are young women that have responsibilities. So it was a mix of synchronous and asynchronous learning. We made sure to think about what their responsibilities were. We surveyed them. And in turn, we had something that even though it was virtual, even though it was two weeks in length, we deeply believed that it was transformative and that these young women have another touch point where they're like, yes, I can see myself in a tech role. And so we think we want to continue to bring that kind of programming to the market. You were sharing with us about, you know, the, the clubs, the girl Girls Who Code clubs. What type of uh, learning is going on there? What type of technology is, are the girls being exposed to? Can you share a little bit more about that? 
So Girls Who Code clubs are magical places. <laughs> they happen in the after-school space and girls come together. I can think fondly pre-COVID to, you know, my club's visits where it would be so much fun to walk into a room, sometimes with 25 girls all around computers, helping each other to learn how to code. And one of the things that really shifted for us as an organization is that we revamped our curriculum and really improved it so that really our facilitators learn alongside the girls, which is a breakthrough meaning that anyone can lead one of our clubs. And our girls come together, sometimes it's weekly, bi-weekly, and they engage with content like Python, you know, CSS, JavaScript, HTML. And so they're learning about coding, but they're also learning about women in tech because we have these spotlights so that they can actually, you know, see these women doing this work. Because we always say at Girls Who Code, you can't be what you cannot see. And we're always dismantling these cultural stereotypes that have compelled so many girls to not pursue tech. And, you know, the other thing that we, that has been central to the experience is what we called an impact project. And so the girls huddle together and they often do the very same things that you know folks in tech industry do they have a problem. They see a problem in their community, in their lives, and they say, how do we solve this using technology? And part of what they do is that they meet week after week and then it culminates in a project. It could be a website that, you know, talks about getting lead out of the water. It could be something else, like the lack of black hair care products. It could be an app, like once we had students create an app um, that really dispelled all the taboos around menstruation. Like there's so many cool things that our girls tackle that they see in front of them that they know they wanna make a difference around. And so that's at the heart of a Girls Who Code club. And they start in as early as third grade and go all the way to 12th grade. Trika, yeah, I love that. Having uh, spent now over 35 years in technology and in a variety of leadership roles through throughout my career and, and raising raising a daughter as well, it's it's uh, wonderful to have organizations like Girls Who Code to really drive uh, the STEM focus and investment in in uh, women in and people of color. Are, are there other you know programs that are on the horizon or things that listeners um, hearing you today could be doing to to support your organization? I know you know the, there will be a lot of excitement and interest in in the work that you do. Where would you guide people? Yeah, thank you, Miriam, for asking how folks can get involved because, you know, you mentioned having a daughter. Anyone who has come in contact with a girl, be it a daughter, you know, a niece, an intern, a student, we always ask folks to do a couple of things, including, you know, pushback when you hear, you know, stereotypes about who belongs in tech, but things that are like, that's super actionable, but also, you know, starting a Girls Who Code club. The way that we've been able to have the reach and scale that we've achieved as an organization, we've taught 450,000 girls to code, you know, um, is because of our free after-school clubs model. And so if folks are able to start a club in their community, encourage a teacher, a local teacher to do the same, we would deeply appreciate that because one of the things that also happened during the health crisis is that schools were closed. And with schools being closed, that meant also that our after-school programs changed. And so, 
We are making a huge concerted push to reboot our clubs this fall. We know that girls are going to need the kind of sisterhood and engagement that our Girls Who Code Club will offer. And so we're very excited to continue to expand this work across the country. You know, we are in every state. And so if you can help start a Girls Who Code Club, you can visit our website and get started with that. Drinka, thank you so much for your time and and your your work at Girls Who Code. We are just so impressed with what you are doing and excited to be a partner uh, with you in, in on this journey. Thank you so much, Miriam. And if I can make one final plug, Girls Who Code has over 90,000 college age and workforce age young women ready to take on the internships and jobs. It's actually three times the number of women who graduated with a CS degree in 2019. I encourage your leaders as they listen to this talk to think about hiring them. They are amazing. They will change your companies. So, and they're gonna change the world. So again, thank you for giving me this platform. And thank you, you heard it. Get out there and, and hire some of these women. They will change your company. Thank you, Tariqa. Thank you so much, Miriam.